Hey, let me encourage you to grab a Bible and turn over to 1 John chapter 2 with me this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find one right underneath your seat, so you can just reach down between your legs, pull it out, and, um, and you'll find our text today in those black Bibles that are underneath your seat on page 1034. Now while you're doing that, let me just do a bit of review, because I think it's helpful as we step into what God has to say to us today from His Word. Um, Last week, we started a series entitled Key Choices to a Great Life. And what we recognized was that life is full of choices. You and I have to make decisions all the time. Somewhere along the line, somebody did some research and figuring out that we make about 30 judgment calls or decisions a day, not just instinctive stuff like, you know, am I going to have the hamburger or whatever for lunch, but but more judgment call things, things that are more ethical or decision, that kind of stuff, that we make about 30 of those a day. And over a course of a lifetime, that adds up to a little bit more than three quarters of a million decisions that we make in the course of a lifetime. But what we drew fully out into the exposure of the sunlight so we could see it clearly is that statistics show that most of us, the average is that the average among us is that we come to regret, 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 there we go, 20% of those decisions. That one out of five decisions that we make, we regret. We'll say, man, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't, done, you know, that kind of idea. And, and so we get to a place where when we understand that life really is a series of decisions, the quality of our lives, the goodness of our lives, the, the, the experience that we have in life is directly connected to decisions we make, it really begs us to start asking the question, well, how do I make better decisions? How, how do I start lowering that 20% down to zero and start raising that 80% of okay to good to great decisions up close to 100%? And so we started that journey, and we've been looking at the gospel, this book of 1 John to get our answers about what those key choices are. Just one more minute of review, and then we'll kind of get into today's lesson. Last week, we looked at the issue of just being honest with where we're at. If we're not honest about our current reality, then there's no way for us to move forward into the great life. Imagine somebody was trying to come to your home, and they called you up, they're on their cell phone, they call you up and they say, hey, I don't know how to get to your house, can you give me directions? And you say, sure, where are you? And they say, I don't know. So how are you going to give them directions? You know what I mean? Say, well, turn right. You've got to be, I mean, you've got to be, you have a 25% chance of being right because it's either go forward, go backwards, or go left or go right. Say, go right. And we'll say, you know, I mean, you're just kind of shooting in the dark, right? You and I, in order to start this journey of moving towards this great life, we have to be honest about where we're at because it's in our honesty about our sin and about our brokenness, and our woundedness, and etc., that actually the truth of God can come to speak into our lives and set us free from all of that, so we actually can begin to move towards the great life. Well, what is this great life? And last week we defined it, out of chapter 1, as being in fellowship with the Father and the Son. And, and that means to participate in everything that God intended to give us in Jesus Christ. That's our definition of the great life. That 
Everything that lied behind God's heart, that His Son would climb out of heaven into the skin of an infant child and live life among us, offer Himself up to be sacrificed on a cross to the most brutal form of death, and to be resurrected. God did all of that because He intended for you and I to have a certain type of experience in our relationship with Him. And it's that relationship that is the great life. And the first key choice we make in getting to that life is to be honest with the fact that this is how I'm not experiencing it and why, and letting God's truth set us free from it so we can begin to move forward. And if you didn't get all the details of that, it's on our website. You can go and listen to it online, etc. But I want to move today to the, to the second key choice. And we're going to draw this out through the first six verses of 1 John, of chapter 2. The second chapter of 1 John. Now I'm going to tell we're going to jump to some others in 1 John, and, and I really can't avoid that. I know many of you are just go in order. It's easier for me to follow along. Me too. Okay? I get that. But John is writing in much more of a Hebrew style than Paul ever wrote, which means that he kind of says something, and he backs up, and he says it again, and he backs up, and he says it again. And so there's different pieces that we need to pull out. But let me just read these verses for us, and then we'll kind of move forward from there into the, the key choice, I think, that God is asking us to make in, in moving towards this life that he really offers us in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here, my little children. And this is really the, the only place in the letter of John to us where he uses this phrasing of my little children. He uses little children over and over again. Of course, John can do that. He's probably 90 plus when he's writing this text, right? So everybody else is a lot younger than him. So he can refer to them as just a kid, you know. And, um, and, but it's, there's a level of affection. He writes out of concern, out of passion, out of fatherly love for us. And he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. I know every single one of you have already used that word a lot today, propitiation. It's just probably the first thing out of your mouth this morning. We'll, we'll try to talk about that in just a minute, about what he means. He himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him. I actually like it better. Some of the translations probably have a little bit more. This is how we know that we have come to know him, <laughs> by keeping his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him without keeping his commands, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. So to say that you love God and to have no, and, and really not be committed to being obedient to him is just a lie. It's just a lie. If, if, you know, for us to be in a position where we say, oh, I love God so much, he's done so much for me, and that kind of stuff, and then just intentionally and knowingly ignore what God has to say about how we're supposed to live life is, is simply to lie. Okay? I've come to know him without keep... The one who says I have come to know him without keeping his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is perfected. And I think here the reference is to our love for God is perfected. God's love for us is already perfected. We might come to experience God's more, love more fully by keeping his word, but I think here that 
when we get to a place where we keep his word truly in him, notice it's a small h in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, reference to us, truly in us the love of God is perfected. And this is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So here's the second key choice is to choose to complete your love for God. Now, I stayed away from the word perfect. <laughs> we just dealt with, because that's pretty intimidating, right? So, you know, that's it. Go complete your love for God. Everybody go home. We're done for today. I mean, when we hear that, it's like, how do I do that? And that sounds pretty intimidating, right? You know, how is it that I actually get to a place where my love for God is perfect? That my love for God is absolutely complete. There's not one ounce of room to improve or strengthen or extend my love for God. How do we get to that place? That's, that's a pretty wild notion, isn't it? And yet, that's exactly what John is telling us. That God has invited us into this fellowship with Him so we can experience everything that He intended to give us in Christ. And the way to do that is to complete our love for God. Because it is a task, let me first of all give you some senses of the whys of why we should do this. Why is it such a good thing for us? What are we going to get for ourselves? And this isn't a great perspective, but what are we going to experience for ourselves if we actually take the steps to complete our love for God. That we make that choice, that we make that choice every day, we let our love for God grow. What's going to happen to us? And John addresses that in a couple of places throughout the rest of his letter. And, and I want to pull those up for you. The first of those comes from 1 John chapter 3. And I'm thinking these verses are going to mysteriously appear on the screen behind me as I'm getting ready to read these out to you. But look what he says in John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive whatever we ask from Him because we keep His commands and do what is pleasing in His sight. Notice the connection there between keeping His commands or obeying God or following His Word. Now this is the command, His command that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as He commanded us. So, the very first benefit that falls to us, if you and I are the type of people that work towards completing our love for God, is that we get to be in a place where we have this inside connection with God that whatever we ask, we get. Does that sound pretty good? Now, I'm not trying to give you this name and claim it. You can go look for the biggest house in, you know, in your neighborhood or whatever. That's not what I'm trying to talk about. But we're in a position where you know that when we ask of God, that we're in such a relationship with Him that what we want is so much in alignment with what He wants that when we ask it, it's going to happen. And it's just this confidence that comes. We don't, we, the, the, and, and this power in prayer, this, this sense of, of being close to God and, and knowing it and of being at peace with it and not being... It, it's a wonderful experience. Wouldn't it be great to know that as you're praying for your children or for your parents or other people that are precious to you, that when you're praying, 
you absolutely know that God is hearing and answering your prayer. What a great thing. What a great thing. <laughs> what is this kind of like? You probably never had these experiences because all of you were probably just great in school, right? But I can remember experiences where, you know, you, come, you, get, you get your report card at school. And this is back in the days where they graded you for not only your, the grade that you got for whatever subject they were dealing with, English or social studies or math or whatever, but they also graded you on behavior and on your effort. And everybody got report cards like that? You know, and you get these moments, you're coming home, and, and the grades are okay, but you see a couple of twos in there, you know, and, and you know what's coming from mom and dad, <laughs> you know what I mean? But boy, when you get off the bus, and your grades are reflective of your ability, and you got all ones <laughs> for effort, and, you know, you say, hey, I want a new bike, you know, because you know that they're going to be, you, know, you just have this confidence, and God said, man, when you complete your love for God, when you do what I ask you to do, when you come in, you can come to me and you can know that, that you can look me straight in the eye and say, God, this is what I'd like from you today. And you know that God's going to answer according to wisdom. Here's the second thing. This comes from 1 John chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. For this is what love for God is to keep his commands. Now, his commands are not a burden. In other words, we're not going to find those heavy because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that God has conquered the world, our faith. Now, it goes on there, and we're going to come back to this in some later messages, but, but when you and I make the decision to do the work, to complete our love for God, what God says is you're going to live victoriously. You're not going to encounter anything in your life experience that you're not going to be able to prevail over. I'm not saying it's not going to hurt you some, it's not going to have some burden or etc., but there isn't any experience that you're going to go through personally or as you're dealing with what's going around you with people that you care about and family, etc. There's nothing in there that's going to overwhelm you and drown you and rob you and pull you under, but somehow in the midst of all of that, you're still going to have this profound sense of peace and hope and joy, and strength, you're going to have victory. And i got to tell you, I think so many of us, we feel like we are under our circumstances instead of over our circumstances. And God says if we complete our love for Him, we're going to have victory. So, I could do for some of that. Last, last benefit trying to butter you up a little bit, all right, to be listening about what it takes to complete our love for God, right? First of all, we know we have this power in prayer, this, this ability to ask, and then we, secondly, we have victory. The third thing is from 1 John chapter 4, the 18th verse. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. Now, this is not talking about whether you are afraid of bugs. You know, that, that's not what it's talking about. You know, I, I don't like snakes, okay? I just don't like I don't care if it's the little teeny types. Or I just don't like snakes, okay? You know, and uh, when, a few years ago when we had the amazing animals or whatever here, and I had to hold the middle of the snake, 
it, it, it was an act of sacrifice for our children on my part to hold the, this belly of this huge snake that we had. I don't like snakes, but it's, it's not that kind of fear. But it's, it's the ability to live our lives now and as we think about the future in particular and we think about eternity, that we don't have an ounce of fear about any of that. When you and I perfect our love for God, perfect love drives out fear because fear is afraid of the punishment that might come, the reception we might get. And when we have completed our love for God, all of that just gets absolutely driven out. And that comes from making the choice to complete our love for God. Not bad stuff, right? Probably not the stuff you think about every single day, but boy, when you really stop and think deeply about life, this is the kind of stuff that really matters. So how in the world do you complete your love for God? Do you just sell everything you have, move off into the mountains and become a monk? How is it that you complete your love for God? You just make the decision to say, I'm never ever going to have any fun in life ever, ever, ever again. Is that what it means? To, what does it mean to complete our love for God? Because all those kind of conceptions kind of go around. And, and I want to draw us back to our focal text today. Verses 1 through 6 of chapter 2 of First John. We've been kind of flipping around in a few places. And again, I want to put all of this in the context of his statement of saying, my little children. John writes to his listeners. He writes to those who are going to read and hear this read in the services. He writes through them to us, and there isn't anything in his heart but what's best for us. He cares about us, and he's writing to us. He says, these are the things that are important to me. And he, and he starts with the very first one. And that is, he says, I am writing these things, to, to, these things so that you might not sin. Now John was dealing with a concept or a context in which there was this growing idea that sin didn't really matter in our lives. And, well, because you could either be forgiven for it or, be, or what you did with your bodies didn't really affect your spirit. And so people were getting really casual with sin. And John was wanting to make sure, hey, listen, I don't want you to misunderstand a simple thing that I'm saying. The end of the day is, the reason that God has spoken to us, the reason why God continues to speak to us, what God is looking for in our lives is so that you and I can stop sinning. And the first step in completing our love for God is to make the choice to stop sinning. I put it this way. We, we've got to stop the leaks. To start letting, to keep letting the blessings of God flow out of our lives. And again, think about this model. Our, our experience of this great life is in relationship with God but every single time that we sin, we violate that relationship. So part of what gets poured into it, into that, it just keeps leaking out the sides. And I've got to tell you, a lot of our lives just have gaping holes in our lives. And what God is trying to pour in, what comes to us in this fellowship or relationship with God is supposed to fill us up. It's all draining out because we've got a lot of sin leakages in our lives. And the very first thing that John says to us is, listen, if, if you're going to complete your love for God, if you're going to experience this great fellowship that God has with you, if you're going to participate in all God can give you in Christ, 
you've you got to stop hurting the relationship. You've got to stop the leaks. You've you, you got to just root that stuff out. See, the great life is relationally based, and it's really determined by how close we are to God. And if we keep taking steps away from God in our sin, no wonder that great life is so elusive to us, right? We just can't see that. It's just kind of out, out of reach kind of idea. So here's my thought about that today. Every single one of us sitting here this morning are aware of something in our lives at this very moment that we know is harming our relationship with God. Sometimes it's things of omission, and sometimes it's things of commission. Sometimes it's, it's simply, you know, I, I know that I really don't read the Bible very much. I don't pray very much. I don't, I don't, I don't try to set any triggers in my day where it makes me think about God. and those kind of, I don't do any of those kinds of things. And, 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 and so I know that that doesn't help my relationship with God. And yet, it's been going on for months, if not years, in some cases decades in our journey. And John says, stop sinning. Stop hurting the relationship. Start let, stop moving away. Start letting all that God's trying to give you leak out of your life and just stop it. Just stop it. Some of us, we refuse to forgive somebody else. Or we choose just not to believe. Could be in a, you know, we could be in an inappropriate relationship or have inappropriate behavior. Or it could be our language or our attitude, etc. This part to say, you know, I don't, you know, I, I don't care what you know, the church says. I don't care what I think from the Bible. I, what I give is what I give, and I'm not going to change it. You know, it's, it, we, we have all this kind of stuff, but every single one of us sitting here this morning have an awareness of something that says, this hurts my relationship with God, and yet we haven't expelled it from our lives yet. And John says, do it. I'm writing this stuff to you so that you can stop sinning. I'm trying to draw this into the focus, show you what it does to you so you can get rid of it. And as you work to complete your love for God by jettisoning sin from your life, you'll also experience the benefit of a more complete love for God, which is as you ask God for help in getting rid of the sin in your life, you're going to get that answer. You see the dynamic that begins to develop? So the first one, stop the leaks. Stop moving away from God. Stop the sin. Here's the second piece that goes with completing our love for God. Repair the damage as soon as possible. When you and I have a a, a hiccup, a, a failure, a breakdown in our relationship with God, repair the damage ASAP. Look what he says. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for everybody in the world. In other words, his death is sufficient to cover any sin that any of us might bring to God. And what he's saying is, listen, I'm writing these things to you that you might not sin. But when you do sin and it hurts the relationship, deal with it right away. Don't let it accumulate and weigh you down and drag you down and make it. 
Repair the damage ASAP. Seek God's forgiveness. Seek what Christ can do for us as the advocate, as the propitiation for our sins. Let that come to bear on your life as soon as possible. Now, there's a few big things we've got to deal with in here. First of all, some of you were here last week and you looked at 1 John 1, 9 with us. It says, you know, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so, you know, why is it that as we start in chapter 2 then we have to go back and start deal with sin again? And there is a difference between these two. I think chapter 1 is dealing with our sinfulness. That's our overall nature to want to kind of move away from God, this fallenness, if you will, our sinfulness. Sin here... That's being used in chapter 2 as a reference to the individual expressions or acts that come from that sinful nature. So in chapter 1, as we confess it as a part of our honesty to God about our current reality, we are forgiven for our sinful nature, but as it is still in a work of being minimized in our lives by the grace of God, as it gives expression to our, as it, as it produces fruit in our lives, fruit that is bad for us, poisonous for us, dangerous for us, those individual acts of sin that flow from our sinfulness, we need to bring those acts of sin to God and seek His forgiveness. Is that making any sense? Let me, you know, you can, you can think about somebody, you know, and, and you could say, you know what, that guy is hilarious. You know, he's just funny, you know. And that's his nature, right? That's sinfulness. Then you can say, I once heard so-and-so tell this joke. And you can talk about the, that's the sin, right? It's the nature that flows into the sin. In chapter 1, we dealt with the issue of our sinfulness, our sinful nature. God is faithful and He cleanses us from us. He removes it. He only sees us in Christ. In chapter 2, He's talking about the fact that when you and I sin, when we do something that's, we need to come to God through the Advocate, who is Jesus Christ, right away, deal with it, get it over with, so it doesn't damage our relationship with God for any longer than it has to. Now this word propitiation is not a word that we use a lot. And it's actually, the word propitiation is another word in the Bible, ex- expiation. And expiation is, is the, really the same thing, but it's just directed at stuff. So our, we, our sin as a noun is expi- expiated in Christ, but God as a being, as a person, is propitiated. So Jesus serves as our advocate. He is the one who stands with us when we're in the moment of trial before God. And as our advocate, God looks at him. And in what Christ has done, our, God's anger, his just anger towards our sin is propitiated. It's satisfied. So the imagery is, imagine standing in a courtroom before God. Jesus steps up next to you and so, you know, God says, okay, case 1 billion, 200, and da 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 you know, and that's, you know, and Jesus, Jesus said, what are the charges? Well, he's a sinner, and he's committed this sin, and Jesus says, well, I just would port the court towards the cross. And then God's anger at the sin is propitiated. I, I try to think about an example from our modern lives. I mean, you know, a, a number of years ago now, right, the there was an oil tanker by the name of Valdez, right, that ran aground and off the coast of Alaska. Just did huge environmental devastation to the coastline, all that kind of stuff. When after it was all cleaned up, the, the nation, some, some branch of our government, fined the corporation of Exxon a certain amount of money. And when that fine was paid, 
their anger towards the event was propitiated. It was set, the case was over with. It was gone. They were a clean corporate. You move forward. Kind of idea. Jesus' sin, his activities for us on the cross propitiated, satisfies, it wipes away those things. But here he's saying, boy, you know what? Don't sin anymore because that's just damaging the relationship. But when you come up just a little short in that effort, man, just make sure you take care of it right away. The example that I try to use for myself is that, you know, it seems to be a whole lot easier to lose 5 pounds than it is 25 pounds. I know you don't have that problem, right? But, you know, I, I, I have that. So it seems like it's a lot easier to lose 5 pounds than it is 25 pounds. Sometimes we just kind of let stuff kind of build up over a period of time, and then it's a whole lot harder to deal with. You know, um, we still get a printed paper at our house. I'm one of those guys. And one of the reasons why is because I love to read the comics, right? You know, and, um, and there was one, I think it was actually in a little, like, weekly paper that we got up in New Hampshire just in the last few days. And, and it was a picture of a woman, and it was, like, it, was, it, was, it was like an x-ray of her back. And so it was like she was all bent over like this, you know. And, and the doctor's looking at this older woman. She, he's saying, it's not osteoporosis. He said, just take that 40-pound necklace off, you know, because that's what, you know, kind of idea of making her bend over, you know. Sometimes we carry all this weight in our relationship with God, and then we wonder why it's hard to climb the mountain to get to him. Man, repair the damage. Get rid of it. Deal with it right away. Let Christ be our advocate. Trust in what he's done, and then come. I got one last point. Well, that's really not honest. Because my last point actually has three parts to it. But you're supposed to have three points. Here, here's, here's the third piece to this. So you've got to stop the leak, stop sinning, stop hurting the relationship. The second part of completing our love for God is to keep short accounts, repair the damage, Ad, utilize what Christ can do for us as the advocate before the Father. And the last thing, and we find it in verse 6, is just live like Jesus. Just live like Jesus. The one who says he remains in him should walk, should live, just as Jesus walked or lived. If you, if you want to live if you want to complete your love for Christ, make your guiding light out there in front of you living like Jesus. Living like Jesus. Again, it begs the question, well, how do I do that? There's a couple of pieces that go with that. One of those is found over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. And again, I think this verse is going to appear on the screen. John, again, coming back, says, don't love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world... Love for the Father is not in Him. And, it, and obviously it can't be complete if we don't have it at all. Because everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. The very first step of living every single day like Jesus is just not to love the world. Maybe more specifically, not loving worldliness. Now a lot of times we want to write that off to, at least when I was growing up, you know, the... the Sex, drugs, and rock and roll culture. You know, it's the, it's the party and that kind of stuff. We, that's, you know, we, that's what we need to reject. That, that, that certainly is a part of it, but that, that's, that's really not what God's talking about. 
when he's talking about the pride of one's lifestyle, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and that kind of stuff, he's really talking about a perspective where we look at the world and we can only see it from our perspective. How does this affect me? Will I like this? Is this what I want? How is this going to benefit me? When you and I are living our lives in that perspective, we're living in a worldly fashion. When we're asking the question, what does God want? What would Jesus do? Then we're living a life that's for Christ. And and the first step in this journey is to reject this love of the world or the things that are in the world. When you and I are letting stuff govern the way we live our lives more than the call of God and the presence of God in our lives, we're living in a worldly fashion. Second aspect. You've got to follow what you already know. John kind of, again, even in these verses, is kind of repetitive. He, he, he talks about commands in verse 4. He talks about the Word in verse 5. And he talks about walking as Jesus walked in verse 6. Those, strings in some way, those three things in some ways are, are synonyms to one another, but I think they actually kind of build a little bit that this idea of living like Jesus means that we have to reject living like the world, which is instinctive to us, and deliberately choose to live like Christ, to, to think about how this honors Christ, reflects Christ, blesses Christ, is, is imitates Christ. We, we need to be looking at those issues. But out of that, we need to start with the commands. And with that, I, I think that idea is we need to start with what we already know. We need to start with what we already know that we should be doing. Because the, the biggest thing that I often hear from people is, well, I don't know the Bible very well. And I'm very, very tempted sometimes when I'm in a bad mood to say, well, what parts do you know? And if they give me a couple things, they say, well, you're following that. You know, and then if the answer is, whoa, 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 you know, I mean, that's kind of where we need to start with what we know, right? We can make all the excuses about, well, we can't understand Leviticus and this and that, all this kind all that stuff, I, I get all of that, you know, but, but let's come back. So what is it that you do know? And are you following those things? Just start with what you already know. The biggest obstacle in our relationship with God often isn't what we don't know about Him, but it's what we already know and we ain't doing. And that applies to me as well as to you. And you talk about having a barrier of new discoveries of who Christ is. It, it, it's just to take what we already know and then just not do it. There's the piece that flows out of that. So we reject the world's way. We're trying to embrace God's way. We're doing that by doing what we already know. But then as you think about this word, this voice of God that keeps speaking to us, it, it's that we need to keep listening. We need to keep learning. We, we, we need to go back and say, this is what I already know I should be doing, and let's work on that and get more consistent. Ask God's intervention to help you do that and get Jesus to forgive you for the pieces that you aren't doing well and get to start over again, all that kind of good stuff. But then in the midst of that, when you say, God, teach me more. And we need to be looking and learning and growing. God's Word is still speaking to us. It's, it's got power. These words that are on these pages from 1 John are just as real to us as they were to the people who got them on parchment 
2,000 years ago. It's powerful stuff. And, you know, I, 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 the imagery that stands for me is, imagine you had spent just, you would spent six months to a year just planning a road trip with your family to the Grand Canyon, right? And, and, and the moment, the day comes you're going to leave, and you guys wake up really early in the morning. You load, you've loaded everything in the car the night before. It's still dark out. The sun hasn't come out. You back the car out of the driveway, and you point it down the road, and your headlights only go 100, and, 100 to 150 yards. And, and, and you just look around, and you look at the family, and say, I, I can't see how to get there, so I guess we can't go. And you pull the car back into the driveway and stop. I mean, would anybody do that? I, we had some neighbors when I was, they were, they were leaving. They were leaving from Missouri the exact same day we were, right around Christmas one year. And, and they were loaded up. They were going to leave really early. And, and, and we went by their house like at 5.30 in the morning. And their car was still in the garage. And they had loaded the whole car up. They had like eight kids. They had covered the top of this Volkswagen uh, a bus, a van that they had with all kinds of stuff. And then they couldn't get it out of the garage door. They had to load the whole thing to get started again. They had to unpack the whole thing back out, start over again. You know, it's not those kinds of problems. But sometimes you say, well, I can't see how to get You know what? Every step we take forward, we're going to learn more. You roll that car 10 feet forward, you're going to be able to see 10 foot further. And God's going to keep giving us light as we go. So keep learning. Keep learning. Stay in the Word. Keep asking questions. Keep learning. Keep growing. We have some great choices to make, don't we? I'm not saying they're real easy choices. I think the outcome of those choices, a great life, is, is worth every effort we can make, but it's starting with the choice of just being really honest of where we are with God. Honest enough to take our sin seriously and not minimize it, but also not to maximize it to such a point to say, well, you know, God can never really forgive this, but to be honest where we're at and let God to forgive us and then work by God's grace to complete our love for Him. So that relationship with Him is as close as it possibly can get so that we can experience all that He seeks to give us in that relationship in Jesus Christ. Are those the choices we're making this morning? Let's pray together for just a moment. Father, thanks for your word today. There's a lot to absorb here. You know, God, just as we think about what it really means to be set free and, and to have victory, to live without fear, God, as we think about what it's really like to make the commitment to our lie in the sand and say, I'm just not going to do that anymore because it hurts my relationship with God. Or to seek your forgiveness and God to make the decision to truly live our lives in the way that Jesus would. God, we need your help, and we need strength within. Give us both of those as we make good choices, great choices, leading to the great life that you have for each and every one of us. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.